Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and I'm delighted to be joined in the studio once again by my co-commenter, Cameron Brooks. In this episode, we're going to go back to the basics and talk about a fundamental question when it comes to salvation, namely, who does the work? Do God and man work together in the task? And if so, how much does God contribute and what's required of us? Or is God the only one whose actions matter? And if that's true, then what do we do with the Bible's many calls to obedience and good work? Here's Cameron to set up the topic. Well, every now and then on the commentary, it's good to go back to the basics in our conversations. Pastor Mark, I enjoy the breadth of discussions that we're able to have on this show. It's it's fun to have a, a wide range of topics, but some of my favorite conversations have been about the core beliefs of the faith. We've done episodes on baptism, for example, or on the resurrection, things like that. And I want to do another one of those with you this week. The core belief that we're going to talk about is expressed in a theological, a pair of theological concepts known as monergism and synergism. Have you heard those terms before? Oh, yes. Yeah. So that's no surprise. I'm sure any student of theology has heard them. They're, they're a handy way to describe God's relation to our salvation and our relation to God in salvation. So I've been reading some extra theology lately on the side just for fun and came across the term, one of the terms, I think it was synergism in a conversation about Augustine and his disputes on Pelagianism way back in fourth century or something. So it jogged my memory and I thought, oh, this would be a cool conversation to have. So for listeners who aren't familiar with the terms, maybe we start there. How would you define, let's start with monergism and then we can contrast that with synergism. I think the, uh, it actually helps to take both of them together yeah. because they share a common root, uh, the, the ergism part, uh, which has to do with work. Uh, we still have in English words like ergonomics. Um, so it takes that Greek root for work and talks about how to work efficiently, you know, how yeah. things should be done well. But that's just a, a question of uh, how work is done or how energy is expended or something like that. And so we're talking about work and then two views of work. So monergism... Mono is the the prefix meaning one, and synergism, uh, sin is the uh, prefix s y n prefix that would mean uh, together or uh, with with yeah, and so essentially you have a contrast between let's say one work or or one who does the work versus working in partnership, working together or multiple workers. Um, the first time I was exposed to 
synergy and uh, monergism in the context of theology, a connection I made was to business speak. Back in the 1990s, it seems like, you know, every business person was pursuing synergies, <laughs> always looking for synergies. And oftentimes that word was used maybe with very little sense of, of what it meant, but you just knew it was good, you know, like dynamic. It was one of those right. words. We needed dynamic synergies. Yes. And uh, so when I heard monergism versus synergism, I think I just automatically assumed the right answer would be synergism because, you know, that that yeah. is the thing always being praised. In theology, though, the distinction is between essentially God doing all the work or us working together in order to bring about salvation. And so the work that is in view is the work that's necessary in order to save. And then the question is, who does that work? And so some people would say God does all the work. That's monergism. Others would say, well, you know, God does some of the work, but we also must do some of that work as well. That's synergism. You know, you working with God in order to accomplish that task of salvation. And in the history of the church, that's been an ongoing debate. Um, and as you say, Augustine was on one side of that debate and Pelagius was on the other. That's a helpful introduction. I, I think it's worth mentioning too at the foref at the forefront that both of those views would use the term grace as I understand it. So I think they would both see themselves as relying completely even on God's grace for salvation. The monergist and the synergist saying it's only by grace alone, perhaps both would say that. I think that's that's my understanding. But the synergist would say would would maybe make a distinction between what what type of grace we're talking about so. yeah so i think that's where it gets complicated so on the the monergism side of the balance sheet that always kind of stays simple because yeah. if god's doing all the work god's doing all the work but on the other column the the synergistic column that one it depends on who you're talking to. So if you take the classic debate that you're referring to, Augustine and Pelagius, I don't think Pelagius would agree that salvation is by grace alone. Pelagius had this idea that God would never command us to do something that we were not able to do. And so he felt like all of the commands in Scripture, uh, which had obedience as their aim, must be commands that we have the power to keep. And so really this was a, an argument over the inability of the will mm. that Augustine is arguing that because of sin, we don't have the ability to perform the work we must do. And Pelagius is arguing, well, no, I mean, it just stands to reason. If God tells us we have to do it, then we must be able to do it. And therefore the, the will is not compromised in the way that, you know, Augustine thinks it is. Yeah. But the problem is Pelagian's views or Pelagius's views are condemned. Right. And at least in theory, Augustine's views are confirmed to be correct by the church. So what happens is the, the, the Pelagianism returns, but in a modified form, you get semi-Pelagian views 
And those views try to make allowances for grace that essentially let you have it both ways. Uh, maybe the, the best example, even though historically it comes later, would be thinking about like a Wesleyan uh, prevenient grace mm-hmm. that um, grace enables us to do the work we must do. Yeah. But because it is enabled by grace, it's still gracious. It's just that we also must do the work. And so you do have different versions of synergism. But I think from a, from a reformed theology standpoint, all of those versions of us working together to do the work of salvation kind of amount to the same thing because no matter what lip service you pay to grace and the role of grace, you are still carving out some sort of space for human work. And maybe it's a very small percentage compared to a Pelagian, but it still compromises the the idea that, that God alone does the work, if that makes sense. And so, um, a good way to think of monergism would be to think of uh, J.I. Packer's introduction to the death of death and the death of Christ, the classic John Owen book. That introduction is Packer's inspirational summary of what Calvinism is. And the way that he summarizes it is to say, God saves sinners, period. And that's, just a pure expression of monergism. Like God is the one who does the work. Uh, God is the one who saves without any need to qualify it without any need to add a, but on the end of that sentence, you know, God saves sinners, but it's important that you do what's required of you. It's just God saves sinners, period. Everything you add to that to qualify it takes you into some kind of synergism, you know, to one degree or another. Well, I certainly don't mean to insult Mr. Packer, but question. Dr. Packer. Doctor. (laughs) You've insulted him already. (laughs) (laughs) So God saves sinners, period. And amen. But what about all the passages in the New Testament, which talk about believing? So the, I must believe in the gospel and repent. In fact, you know, believe, repent and believe and, and, you'll be saved, say the apostles. So is that God's work as well? How do we think about faith in response to the gospel as in, in monergistic terms? Yeah. And that's a great question because I think when you hear the term, you know, monergism versus synergism, a really obvious takeaway would be if God does all the work, then that means I do nothing. Mm -hmm. And so you get this caricature of Calvinism that has human beings as passive, um, like let go and let God, like, like do nothing, basically just let God do it all. Uh, you don't need to lift a finger, that kind of thing. Jesus take the wheel. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, it's important though to understand that obviously like no faithful interpretation of scripture is going to take like a huge swath of the Bible and just say, Oh, you know, pay no attention to that. So obviously we have to take into account, uh, commands to obey, uh, commands to do, 
probably in my mind, one of the, the, the most obvious ones would come in Philippians where Paul tells the Philippians to work out their salvation in fear and trembling. You don't want to do anything, I think, to hollow out a statement like that. But then he adds this, for it is God who works in you to will and to work his good pleasure. I think in that phrase, you get a sense for how monergism handles both of those realities, right? The call to obedience on the one hand, but also uh, salvation that is by grace alone. So obviously we work, obviously we, we obey. The question isn't whether or not we do those things. And the question isn't whether or not we do those things sincerely. Um, the question is, what are those things accomplishing and kind of how do they stand in relation to justification? Right. So specifically when we talk about uh, obedience and grace, we are talking about the work of salvation that accomplishes our justification. Right. And in that work, God works apart from us. It isn't cooperative. It isn't a conditional thing where God extends an olive branch and if we reach out and accept it, then the work of justification is done. Instead, we see all of our action, all of our obedience as following and flowing from that work of God. Mm-hmm. So in you know, Westminster theology, uh, we always make this distinction between justification and sanctification. And you know, realistically, it can be hard in your everyday life to keep everything in its discrete category. But for teaching purposes, it's really helpful, I think, to have a firewall between these two things and to understand that the call to obedience is real, but relates to sanctification, not justification. Mm. So our obedience doesn't save us. It doesn't contribute to the work that saves us we aren't cooperating in such a way that we sort of add the missing ingredient that makes it possible for us to be saved. All of the willing and the working comes after the fact as gratitude for the work that God has done. And even farther than that, we would say that that work, that obedience that we do in the context of sanctification is also a work of the spirit in us, you know, just like Paul says, work it out for it is God who works in you. And so clearly he is articulating a view that isn't either, or it's not either God does the work or we do the work. It's both. And, but it's important to understand that that work of God is, is on a higher level, right? And that all of our work is response. So, in that sense, it is complicated, right? Like, like it's not as, it's not as easy as just saying, well, it's monergism versus synergism. When it comes to justification, you can make that very hard and fast line, but it looks like when you go to sanctification, now there's something synergistic (laughs) that is happening. 
right? Because we are responding, we are working, we are obeying. But as I say, even there, that is a spirit-enabled response. And and let me push it just a little bit further. Uh, it's not spirit-enabled in the sense that like a prevenient grace frees us so that we can then put in the effort, which we then get the credit for. Like literally all of that effort that's done the glory is to God. Like all of that is him working in us. And so even, even where we see, you know, an action that from the outside you could argue has a synergistic look about it, we would say, actually, no. Like if you could get under the hood and look at it, you'd see it's God who's driving this. Yeah. Yeah, To quote Philippians again, there's the line about God who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion. There's promises about not just justification, but sanctification as well. What, what God's vision for the new creation will look like in us. And those aren't completely dependent on our performance, let's say, like, are you going to bring this about or not? And yet I, I still wonder about some of the terms I've heard thrown around. I think in relation to sanctification, things like cooperation, Mm -hmm. participation. Do you think those kinds of terms are helpful to describe our relationship to the, our walking in the spirit or not? It's a good question. Whether they're helpful or not, sometimes I think they, they are unavoidable. And having a clear sense of who does the work and who's ultimately responsible, who gets the glory, I think helps have less anxiety about, you know, using all the terms correctly downstream, right? So I don't get bent out of shape or or over anxious about making sure that, you know, if, if, uh, in everyday life, you know, I say, Hey, you know, Cameron, you should resist temptation. You know, you should not do what you're contemplating or good job. I really appreciate what you just did. I don't go behind that and say, actually, forgive me. Sorry. I realize you didn't do a thing that was God working in you and all glory to him. And that sort of thing. like, you could be that kind of a stickler, right? The silly Deo Gloria on every, <laughs> every uh, end of the sentence. Uh, but for me, having that, that baseline of monergism makes me more comfortable in everyday terms, just talking about obedience as obedience and not trying to make it seem as if it's, it's actually just a hollow shell or a, right. uh, an empty shadow of obedience or something like that, you know, which I think often gives monergists uh, a bad rap because it often seems as if you're putting a lot of energy into uh, getting around things the Bible says in a pretty straightforward way or like policing the language to a degree that it just feels uh, burdensome. So for me, that's why it's really important to have the theology straight so that we're not always having to unpick those things in our minds. You know, if, if we have it really clear in our mind that, that, you know, Christ accomplished all of the work of salvation on the cross, that God 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do everything necessary, not only to atone for my sins, but also to draw me to God, to apply that work to me and to sanctify me as well as to justify me, then I feel like I can talk about my own obedience, my own belief, and always understand kind of where that comes from and who deserves the credit for it without having to uh, be anxious. Whereas if I don't have that foundation, then I think it does very easily start to be a transactional kind of conversation. You know, I hear a lot of people talk about their salvation in a way that makes it sound like, you know, God put it out there and they had the good sense to grab hold of it. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that God sort of does, let's say an equal measure of work for each person in general. And if you have the good sense to take him up on his offers and seal the deal, then you will be saved. And if you don't, well, that's on you, right. you know? And so I think there's a, there's a, a benefit to thinking this stuff through and recognizing only God should get the glory for this. Only God should get the credit for this. And if I have you know, questions about why is it this way? Uh, why do I believe? And, and, you know, my best friend doesn't or vice versa. These are ultimately questions I can take to God and, and leave in the hands of God and I don't need to look at, you know, what makes me better than him or vice versa, that kind of thing. Speaking of the hands of God, I'm thinking back to your sermon on Sunday. You were talking about something similar to this in a different in a different context, but you you're talking about election and predestination right. and, and how sometimes we want to have more control. We want to take things into our own hands instead of trusting God with our salvation and the salvation of those we love. But then you said something like, but you know, your own hands, you know, the weakness and the fragility of your own hands. And I, you know, I think what you meant by that is the human propensity to be unfaithful and to, to lack persistence and all of that. And I think that applies to this conversation too, where monergism gives us that assurance that salvation ultimately, finally, is in God's hands from beginning to end. And wherever I am on that spectrum, I can, you know, even if I'm feeling pretty crummy about my sanctification, for example, I can look back to that moment of justification, which was his gift and feel a kind of assurance that I wouldn't have if it was all up to me. Now that's exactly right. And I think assurance is the arena where a lot of these seemingly abstract theological distinctions really do pay off Mm -hmm. because when people struggle with a sense of assurance or they doubt whether or not God loves them or whether uh, this salvation that they, they thought they had is real or any of that in a synergistic setting, if I have doubts like that and I go to my pastor and I say, you know, I'm not sure if I'm really saved. I'm not sure what to think about all this. I think a typical response would be something like, well, do you remember when you said the prayer? Do you remember when you gave your heart to Christ? Did you mean it? 
Like, were you sincere? And if you meant it, then you can have assurance. And the problem with that is if you know yourself, you know, um, like, have you ever really intended anything with a hundred percent purity? You know, if, if I start asking myself, like, was I wholly sincere? You know, was I sincere enough to do what I had to do? I think the answer is always going to be no. Um, that's the issue that if we have a synergistic view of salvation, it's like God's done his part and it's up to me to do my part, but whether or not I've done my part could be a source of endless anxiety, right? Constant self-guessing, uh, to the extent that in synergistic circles, it's very common either to experience a lot of anxiety about, you know, am I really saved or to just have people, church leaders, whatever say very openly, well, none of us can be sure of things like that. Well, none of us can have certainty. Only God knows, et cetera, et cetera, no matter what you've done. And there's an irony to that, right? That you're in an environment where you're told salvation depends on things that you do ultimately. And then you're also told that regardless of what you do, you cannot know what the outcome is going to be. And it's like, ah, so in a monergistic environment, when I struggle with those kinds of questions and I bring them to my pastor, he doesn't point me to me. He points me to God, points me to God's promises. He points me to what God has said and what God has done. And so I'm always being sort of, pushed back to the objective word of God and and what he has done, not to the subjective intention of myself. But of course, that only works if we believe God has done all the work and that it's God who settles these things, not us, right? In a synergistic environment, pointing me back to God is, is I don't say meaningless, but, but ultimately, like, it, it won't make a difference because of course God's done everything God said he was going to do, but that still doesn't get me over the line. Right. You know? And so again, painting with a broad brush and, and in simplistic terms, I think that sense of assurance and, and having an objective standard to measure it by is one of the blessings of a properly monergistic understanding. And an acknowledgement that there's a role for obedience and that, that we have to follow after Christ and, and be conformed to his image, all of that fits perfectly well with an acknowledgement of that monergism. So you're not losing those things. You're just putting them in a proper context where they're not, um, they're not credits to your account and they're not the basis on which you might judge your salvation. Well, I don't think we have anything more to say. That that was beautifully said right there, and I think a great place to end. So another fun episode on some basics, but also some pretty deep basics this time around. So thanks, Pastor Mark. We'll see you next time. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to the commentary. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. 
To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org. <laughs> <laughs>